0: Welcome to the podcast, Share Your Story, Exploring Humanity One Heart at a Time. I am your host, Jenny Diltz, and I help people convert their grief into growth in their own way and in their own time. This is a podcast where we dive deeply into the stories that make us who we are and show us who we can become. Together, we share real life experiences of growth through our grief. I can be found at grievingcoach.com. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you don't miss exclusive interviews and some of my own tidbits and insights on grief.
1: We have got to start letting this be in our household names and in its yeah. ugly, it's pretty, and nobody wants to talk
2: about it, but it has right. to be talked about. It has to be, you know? mm-hmm. yeah. You're right. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of like our, we all have whys. You know, our goals ask us, what is your why? what is your why we all have our personal whys but i think in the overall scheme of of grief you know the common denominator of that why is we've got to talk about it we've got to talk about it
0: hello everyone i am really excited about today's episode because i have not just one but two incredible guests with me today both of whom are mothers of sons who were murdered and although this is a traumatic topic and very challenging circumstances, I am confident that you will get some incredible, incredibly valuable insights from these two women. Hope Rieger and Candace Sims. This episode will be part panel discussion and part organic conversation as we delve deeper into both Hope and Candace's stories. Hope Rieger lives in Xenia, Ohio with her husband, Mike. And she has two sons, Brian, 33, and Justin, forever 19, and three amazing granddaughters, Halen, Addie, and Bre- Breeley. Hope's day job is a talent coordinator with a major financial institution for the past 28 years. Hope believes her purpose in life was given to her after the traumatic loss of her son to murder. That purpose is to provide positivity, inspiration, and hope to others through her Grief to Hope program she created in honor of her son. Grief to Hope is a virtual peer grief support group that allows grievers a safe place to be in their authentic self with support of others who understand and know exactly what they are going through. One of Hope's quotes that she likes to end each session with is, Grief changes your entire world. It can also inspire you to change the world. Hope can be found at Grief to Hope, www.grieftohopesupport.com. And you can also check out Hope's memoir, Grief to Hope, A Mother's Memoir of Devastation to Determination on Amazon Kindle. And I'll put the link to that in the show notes. Uh, Candace Sims is more than just a bereaved mother. She parented a son for 22 years as a single mother. Marcus Reed was killed April 8, 2007. Since that day, life has never been the same. The first year of coping with grief and loss was an eye-opening, self-reflecting experience. She felt pitiful for herself and thought she would always be pitied. But due to the spiritual foundation she was building up to that point, the faith inside of her went to work. She is now at 15 years of grieving her son's death, a certified end-of-life coach, court-appointed advocate in the state of Georgia, community advocate, small business bereavement coordinator, Wife and grandmother, death has taught her how to live purpose, live her life better and purposefully. Her life's work is to help others talk more freely and candidly about death without falling apart. Hope and Candice, thank you both so much for taking the time to share about your experiences and shed some light on how you've not only navigated but thrived through this difficult experience of loss and grief.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having us. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a pleasure being here with both of you. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, I'm so excited. This is going to be a good conversation, I can tell already. Mm-hmm. Um, to start off, can you share a little bit of, of context of, um, about your story so that our audience knows where you're coming from?
1: Absolutely. I'll start. Um, so November 17, 2016. Um, I received a knock at the door, just like in the movies. Two police officers showed up. However, um, they handed me a piece of paper and said that a person um, on that piece of paper, that name and number, was trying to find me, get hold of me. And of course, I'm thinking, what is this about? And if it was something horrific, the cops would tell me, like in the movies and on TV. And so my thought is, um, I had two boys. What did they get into, you know? If it was something serious, the cops would have told me. So I'm thinking um, they've lost mom's cell phone, they need to get a hold of mom for whatever reason. And so I thanked them. Um, Of course, I did ask them if they knew what it was about and they said they didn't. So I I thanked them, I shut the door, went upstairs at 6.30 in the morning. And I'm thinking, who's gonna answer the phone at this hour? Um, and so I dialed the number, and the person on the other line uh, simply answered Green County Coroner, and that's how I found out that my son was in an altercation with his roommate. Um, it started out to be a verbal altercation, um, yelling, um, calling each other, or whatever, um, and then turned into a shoving match, a punching match, and then. Um, the roommate decided to pull a gun on my son and put it to his chest shot and killed him mm-hmm. and Justin didn't have any weapons of any kind and we'll go into that a little bit later about how the criminal system works. but um that's how i found out that
2: i lost my son to murder wow <clears throat> wow i'm so very sorry to hear about that that is devastating you. Very devastating. Wow. And my story uh, started, um, it was Easter Eve. And um, I was together with Marcus that, that Saturday before Easter. And we hung out all day. Um, he had just moved into his apartment three months earlier. And of course, like a mother, you know, I have to come over there and make sure he has what he needs to get by for the week or for the month or whatever the case may be. So um, we went shopping, grocery shopping, picked up a couple of items and um, just spent the whole day together, I prepped some meals for them before I left. And um, what was to be a maybe two hour visit ended up being like maybe a four or five hour visit because that's just what mothers do. Um, I told him I would um, see him uh, tomorrow, I'll see you tomorrow, as we were planning to have uh, dinner for Easter after I got out of church, and he said, okay, and um, after church, I headed on over, I called him a couple of times, and text him uh, to let him know I was on my way, and you know i didn't get a response back but that was that wasn't out of the ordinary for me you know young adults they they text or they're doing what they're doing and you know they want to hear from you but it wasn't necessarily important for them to <laughs> you know respond back but um as i rolled up into his uh apartment unit it, it i just got this eerie feeling that just kind of came over me or washed over me and um I no, I wasn't driving in slow motion, but that's what it felt like. I was driving in slow motion as I started um, approaching his, his place. As I started getting closer and closer, it just seemed like my car was just driving slower and slower. And as I got as close as I could get to the apartment, there were just tons of people standing outside. Uh, saw the white coroner's van out there. Saw a couple of police cars out there and wondered, hmm, maybe this is why he's not calling me. Maybe he's out here wondering, you know, what's going on. And um, so I got out of my car because he wouldn't pick up the phone. And I tried to approach, you know, his apartment. And all of a sudden I got stopped by one of the uh, policemen that were there and told me I couldn't go any further. There was an investigation going on. And I said, well, um, my son's unit is up there. He's not picking up his phone. He knows I'm coming to... Take them to dinner. We had plans for dinner, and they were like, I'm sorry, and just kept telling me that they couldn't let me go any further. And um, so I just kind of looked around and stood around. I didn't see him. And then all of a sudden, I saw his uh, apartment door open, and out comes the stretcher with the body on it and with the uh, white cover draped over it. And I just lost it. <clears throat> I just lost it. I, I just knew it wasn't anybody else, because he lived by himself. I didn't even think that there could have been somebody else in the apartment with them, And it was just one of the most horrifying um, sights that a mother or anyone um, could experience, um, just knowing that you just lost your your child or your loved one um and um you know when i think about it today it's not as much as a blur as it was when it first happened and every day seems like yesterday every day seems like yesterday um i i have i had i had to learn how to manage how to um Cope with my feelings and emotions. I had to take care of me first <laughs> um, before um, wondering, you know, what happened, why did this happen? Because I'm always going to have those questions. I think we, as parents, will always have those questions: why, why, why? Um, but I, I, you know, 15 years later, just reflecting, I, I, I know that I have to always care for me. Um, um, before I do anything else in my life,
1: how shocking! My heart just breaks for you because I think, unfortunately, um, we are um, in a world where we believe everything happens correct, and that if something horrific, you know, it's not going to be leveled up with, you know, like if that police officer would have took the moment to say. Can I get your name? What do you do? Because same thing with my situation, everybody asked me, what. why didn't they tell you? They had to have yeah. And I said, you know, it's one of the things that will be ingrained in my head mm-hmm. that I had to make a phone call when mm-hmm. two men were physically standing there that could have told me without me having that belief that nothing horrific. Uh, what was about to happen because they would have told me, right? Yeah. And so, unfortunately, I think with both of us, we just um, were it's unfortunate the way that the circumstances happened
2: and the yeah. way that it should have been better. It should have exactly. been exactly. I, t- I totally agree with that. And, you know, and to piggyback of, off of what you're saying, you know, I think about how cold the investigators and detectives can be. Um, While they probably um, describe that as being strong and firm and, you know, controlled and as if they have control of the situation, you know, there can be a coldness and a callousness there from them. Because I even remember when I went back to my car, um, an investigator came over to me and just showed me a picture of Marcus. It was a mugshot of Marcus. And he asked me, do I know this individual? And I said, yes. And I said his name, date of birth, and all that. And he just folded up the the, the, the photo and said, I'm sorry for your loss. We'll be in touch. And just walked away from the my, my car like, is that it? Is, is that it? Is that all I'm going to get right now? So, yeah, very cold. Well,
0: um, Candace, you work a lot with crime victims. Um, is this a common experience to have this coldness, to have this distance?
2: You know, I, I, I think it is common practice. I don't think that. Um, police officers and investigators intend to be that way. I think that because they, you know, encounter these experiences every day, maybe sometimes two or three times a day, you 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 have to build this um, this this shield or this posture of of sternness or firmness um to let the family the grieving families know that um, that the police will do everything that they could possibly do um, and i think they know that because that there are victim advocates um, that are also at work in these situations that the victim advocates will be the one to kind of come in and soothe and kind of um you know help um, bring more empathy into the situation so that they can, um, be what they need to be, you know, in their roles and positions. Mm -hmm. I think that's how I'm, I'm understanding it. I know that there are lots of, um, programs to train police officers and investigators to be a little bit more, um, sympathetic and empathetic to, uh, grieving individuals, but I, I I'm not seeing a change mm. in that type of behavior as of yet. It's it's suggested, but I don't really see the change happening as it should. And and probably because it's happening more and more. You know, murders of young adults are happening more.
0: Hmm. More but not everybody has a victim advocate correct
2: not everybody has a victim advocate and you know and i'm glad you brought that up um you know speaking from my standpoint now as being in the role of a victim advocate um whenever um i'll just say for an example here in georgia whenever a homicide happens or whenever a um a crime happens there is an advocate assigned to that uh, particular crime but if there is no suspect if there isn't any witnesses or anyone to come forward with information the case kind of goes cold and so when a case goes cold there is no advocate to call the families to give them updates on the case, mm-hmm. that, um, that first appearance, um, a jail uh, hearing, an arraignment hearing. None of that happens when um, a murderer isn't apprehended. And so, yeah, that family or that person can fall, fall through the cracks of not even having an advocate. And so what do you do then? You know, you have to, you know, what I did was I was just online, you know, researching support for uh, victims of murder with no advocates. Mm-hmm. And there, there's information out there, but it's like you're on your own being your own private investigator or being your own advocate, per se. And um, and that's what really started me on this journey to advocacy to help other uh, families whose cases uh, won't go to trial because there's no one to come forward to uh, prosecute, to let them know that there's community advocacy out there to help you with group support and to help you with um, learning how to navigate the system of, of, of homicides or to navigate stages of grief and um, to help you with the triggers that happen um, because we need that we need
1: that yeah you know absolutely i agree with you and i was assigned a victim advocate after justin um passed and um she was completely overwhelmed um and so i sympathized with the fact that you know she had so much on her plate um and one of the things that um i eventually led to um, what happened to me with justin's criminal case is that um, he pled self-defense and the um, even though he admitted to shooting and killing Justin and Justin didn't have any weapons um, it, and he was arrested for murder that night, um, he bonded out and then the victim advocate was assigned to me um, and I spoke to her, you know, probably once every few weeks just to get a, a feel of where we're at and she assured me, she's like, it's a slam dunk case. You know you don't have to worry about it um you know he admitted to it you know it's just going through the motions and then the the grand jury just it went on and on it was like never happening and finally i got a call when i knew the grand jury was the day before for her i assumed was going to tell me hey everything went fine it's going to trial and instead she invited me to the prosecutor's office um she didn't want to tell me over the phone but I spent that next day traveling to our hometown, and them sitting in, a, in an office, and it, you could feel the tension. Um, it was the prosecutor, and there were several other people in there. Them having to tell me as a victim of, of a mother ch- or a murdered child that he pled self-defense, and there was going to be no trial, I was furious. I was beside myself, and I felt like... Are I failed my son not only protecting him but now in the criminal system I had failed him because and the criminal system had failed me as a parent and I remember the worst thing and I just mentioned this the other day was that victim advocate never contacted me after that day oh. and I literally left that courthouse feeling so depleted and failed and angry and mad and maybe yes. the reason she was like, I'm not, you know, um, I don't want to call her, but I thought to my, myself, wow, if you're in that position, then mm-hmm. that's your role, is your reality, yeah. right? Like I think that I was fed a reality that didn't exist or that possibility of things that could have happened, Um, I was blown away by the reality of what you know the self defense plea and that kind of thing, and then on top of that, not to hear from her ever again, I felt like. There's got to be some responsibility taken from that if you're going to take on that role. So I think victim advocates, there are some that are great and amazing just as yourself um, that really, really care. And then I think some that are just overwhelmed and overworked and may not be in it for the right reasons. But
2: absolutely. I think it's a great program. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, and, and you before being on the inside of advocacy, you kind of wonder, you know, why is my advocate not calling me, or why don't I have an advocate? And you know, it you always get a an, an answer to a question that's more politically correct than empathetically correct, you know. Right. But it was just something in me that drive of just wanting to know what's really going on, what's really going on. And I had an incredible opportunity to work in community advocacy um, for three years, um, which is different from court appointed advocacy. Um, and, And court appointed advocacy is just that court appointed advocacy. When they have information for you regarding a case, that's when you are going to expect to hear from your victim advocate. But those community advocates, they have a desire and more of a will to follow up and keep in touch with you. And um, let me call this person because I have not talked to her in about a couple of weeks and see how she's doing. And you know, so I don't want to kind of pit community advocacy against court-appointed advocacy, right. but there's a there's a very stark difference in how they operate. And sure enough, you know, if that court-appointed advocate has about a hundred to two hundred cases of of crime victims that you know she's um, managing, you're right. You won't hear from that advocate until there's something. There's movement in that case, sadly for us. <laughs>
0: um, both of you bring up like victim advocacy and the investigations and stuff. Um, I'm wondering with murder, sp- like with specifically with murder or homicide or different um, deaths where there is criminal activity, can it be, triggering to have to wait for the court case to wait for the news the media all of those added components of the death was that was that triggering for you too um like when you got the court notice or when you i don't know if you had the media coverage um about your son's murders like did that instantly bring you right back to the day that they were murdered?
1: So for me, it was completely the opposite. So um, one of the things that happened was, um, it was all over the news, uh, but I didn't watch it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's how so many people found out about it. We lived in a small town or Justin was living in our hometown, which is a small town of Xenia. Um, And so I never watched one episode of the news and I never read one ounce of newspaper. And until years later, did somebody ask me about, um, did I have articles from the newspaper? Did I read? And you are exactly right. It triggered something in me that was just like a sick, like a sickening kind of feeling reading it. Um, it was almost like I was like, I have my story in my head, but when I read that story, that wasn't the story that I had believed had happened, right, Mm -hmm, because you have the truth and you have everything else. And I was in that everything else, and so was the news, and so was the newspaper. So there was no way I was gonna be able to uncover the truth. And to this day, I still don't have the truth. I just have what is in my head because I don't know if I will ever hear the truth from anyone that was in that room, right? Yeah. Um, eventually, you know, when I when I get to where I, I in my um, days, I may hear the exact story or find out. But so it was very hard for me to read that article on their perspective of what had happened because they didn't they weren't personally involved. Mm-hmm. And so, and then on top of that, because it never went to court, right? So it was like the grand jury decides if it's going to be a trial, if it's going to go to court, if that person is going to be indicted. So after that grand jury sort of said, "Okay, you know, we're not going to indict him. He played self-defense. Case closed." That's when actually my my healing started to begin. And the reason why I'm saying that is I didn't have to relive that day in day out. Um, and unfortunately. Those are in the criminal system that have to relive this um, in the trial in the years, and sometimes they don't get that closure for years from the actual occurrence. For me, it was just several months, so I look at it as almost as a blessing that I didn't have to go through that because Mm -hmm. I think that would have prolonged my grief. In that Mm -hmm. in that phase of grief, Uh I was able to close that and start to figure out what i needed to do with my life as far as the criminal act of it um and not having to go through that years and months of trials and and living that and hearing it and and everybody's opinions. so um i'm grateful for that i'm grateful Mm
2: -hmm. yeah and you know for me i think um a lot of things still trigger me um Here in in Atlanta, there's not a day that goes by that you're not hearing about someone um, dying to uh, murder or homicide. It's every day. Sometimes I have to turn the news off so that I don't hear it. And if there isn't a new one, then they're um, rehashing what happened maybe the previous day or the, uh, the previous week. And so that's that's always triggering for me. And, and the way that it triggers me is I instantly feel another mom, another mom has to go through this. you know, when will it stop? When did we get here? When would when did we get to a place where um, settling a score by murder is commonplace, mm-hmm. you know? And so that's triggering for me. But there's also something else that I have to consider, too, because there could still be a possibility that someone may come forward and that now my time is coming to go to court. And over the years, you know, I've spent years going to court with those that I have advocated for. And I remember specifically one mom who I um, was in court with her for her son's murder. And they were preparing us that they were about to show the pictures from the medical examiner of the body. And they, they wanted to warn the family that if you feel as though you won't be able, you know, to view these pictures, you can't step outside and and go into the separate room, and the family was adamant that they wanted to see the pictures. But me, as an advocate, mm-hmm. I said, "Oh no, there's no way I can do that," you know, and so I I you know I'm I'm thinking you know, what kind of advocate am I, number one, (laughs) to want to leave the room, you know, because of a possibility of me breaking down. But you know, that's just the humanness in us. Um, Some people can take that, some people cannot. So I ended up staying in the courtroom with the family. And whenever they would show uh, a photo, I would look down, or I would look at the family just to see their reaction. You know, they kind of give me a glimpse of, you know, how it will possibly be for me when it's my turn. Mm -hmm. You know, because I chose not to um, identify my son's body. He was shot in the head, in the back of the head. And of course, you know, when you're watching movies, you know, everything's gory and bloody and, you know, and all distorted. And so I didn't want that image in my head. So I had a girlfriend identify my son's body and she was like, Candace, his, he was intact. His face was intact. His head was intact. I guess the, the bullet just went through, you know, the back of his head and, you know, didn't damage any of his, you know, his external appearance. But it, it you know, every time I hear of another mom going through what we've been through, that's the most triggering thing for me. And because it's happening so much, you know, I guess it's just a constant trigger for me.
0: yeah. So what helps you in these triggering times?
2: Mm -hmm. You know, I I think the work, the work that we do, um, knowing that, um, you know, in the very beginning for me, it was um, purpose. You know, I need to do something to get my mind off of mourning all the time or to get my mind from being sorrowful all the time, or pitiful as I felt, you know, I just felt so pitiful, poor girl, you know, wonder what she must be going through, you know, and so I wanted to, as I was learning about how to navigate my feelings, I wanted to learn what could I do in honor of him um, to help other mothers who don't have advocates, you know, just kind of navigate this thing, and, um, and so doing some type of work in in my son's honor always helps me to deal with the triggers, you know, to, to not know that I'm just praying for the family, which I do, you know, pray for the family and then offer the the group support or offer the grief coaching, you know, which is becoming more and more needed these days. Um, You know, I think um, people like me and hope, you know, come few and far in between. A lot of people can't do this work. You know, there are advocates who are advocates because they need a paycheck. You know, but then there are advocates who are advocates because we truly understand how grief and loss can can really um, um, affect you and 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 shut you down. Mm-hmm. Um, for 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 quite some time, you know, to make you inactive and in and, and unproductive, and and sometimes sadly, you know, people get to the point where they grieve so much that they just they check out and, mm-hmm. they, and they just don't want to be around anymore, and that is what I do not want to see. Yeah, you know, that's beautifully said. Because I'll
1: tell you what, it's it's exactly what I've said um, to so many: is that when you grieve. You experience the worst pain um, emotionally that anyone can feel, right? That feel uh, that that feeling of loss, and um, sometimes it creates that loneliness on top of that loss. Um, but when you grieve, um, there's some of us who just want to just grieve, like just let me grieve, um, and there's some of us who let me grieve but i'm going to take action with that grief right Mm -hmm. and so that's where candace and i and jenny you you too where we believe that there's a service that needs to be performed because we don't want anyone to feel that pain Mm -hmm. by themselves ever Mm -hmm. and so that's where the the motivation comes from. Like, that's what gets me out of bed every day is, and again, just like Candace, in honor of our sons, we want to make a difference in mm-hmm. the way that everything is handled, whether it's criminal, whether it's mm-hmm. grief, whether it's emotions, whether it's being by mm-hmm. yourself, whether it's just knowing that you're not alone, um, allowing people to take off that grief mask that we all wear. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's what drives us and that's what drives because we could have just said i'll just breathe and and be okay right and right. most people do that and it's a mm-hmm. beautiful thing uh, but then there's some of us who are like there's something driving me to help there's something driving me to guide and that purpose is what we're doing and what we're meant to do mm-hmm. um and take this like i've always said this devastation into determination into hope, and to help and to serve others and that is just what it's really all about mm-hmm. i love it yeah
2: mm-hmm.
0: um in the process of taking that, de- that devastation to determination to hope um, what are some of the most challenging parts of navigating that, that journey? Yeah, you know, it's, when
1: Candace speaks, it's like I'm hearing myself speak because she was talking about <laughs> um, and there's so many things that are alike, like and you when you when you get into your grief groups or your grief help, you're you like, oh, my gosh, I felt the same way or um, there's a lot of similarities, but there's a lot of differences, too. But um talking about when it first happened, that fog, that everything's going in slow motion. And you're sort of stepping out of that um, mm-hmm. and watching from afar. Like I feel mm-hmm. like that first couple months of the grief, I was first, I was like, sleep, cry, repeat, sleep, cry, repeat. Oh, yeah. Sleeping allowed my brain to uh, relax. And mm-hmm. but as soon as I woke up, know it, then I'm like, racing right Mm -hmm. so sleep was huge for me i use sleep to this day as like an outlet (laughs) um probably more than i should (laughs) but um so sleep and then i was crying and if i wasn't crying i was wondering what i was doing wrong um how come i'm not crying how come i'm not not in a fetal position I just lost my son yeah. how could I be laughing how could I you know if somebody said a joke and it's been two months then I feel the guilt of oh my god I'm, I'm happy I should be happy mm-hmm. um, and then it was the jealousy of normalcy mm-hmm. I was jealous of other people that had that normal life mm-hmm. like how did they get to have that right mm-hmm. how did I get to have to focus on this horrific traumatic event Mm-hmm. As a mother losing their child, how come I, they don't have to deal with this? So there was the jealousy of normalcy, um, all of these kind of challenges, like you know, failure that I didn't protect Justin, failure that I didn't get him, you know, justice, um, guilt if I laughed. Um, it was just all of these challenging things that, when you first start off with grief. And that first stage is—it's like a candle, mac. Well, Mm -hmm. candle wax Mm melting, and that's the way. It's all like a big blurb, like every day just sort of melts together, and there's no change in it. It's just melting, and when it came to challenges, I would absolutely, in those first few months, just forget, like. I would not deal with it like i i would use the excuse of the grief if it was something because we had christmas we had new because it was thanksgiving it was christmas it was his birthday it was the, so then i started using um grief as an excuse to sort of back away from any kind of you know if i had to make a decision or or you know change something or make something so then i started excusing myself from feeling certain ways mm-hmm. um, But that challenge is what got me to the point where um, several months later, I had to challenge myself to say, okay, you're angry, you're mad, you're revengeful. It is an ugly world, it's dark. How long are you going to sit here, or are you going to not? change your life because if this is what you're going to do hope then you have to accept it this is what your new life is going to be and i knew in my heart that i couldn't live like that i couldn't live in the dark that wasn't hope and i thought to myself when i left that prosecuting attorney's office and i said you know one thing he took justin but i'm not going to let him take hope there you go so that's when things started to change wow when i started to focusing start focusing on changing the way that i behave the way that i reacted to things the way that i i wasn't going to allow that and let me just tell you most people would have said hey it's a-okay hope stay in that bed Uh you live in that dark place you lost son right most people one they're like glad it's not me but i totally get it and i was the only person that was going to say hope that's not okay that's not okay for you to stay down yeah nobody else was going to do that and that's what motivated me to start moving forward
2: yeah and that's what it took Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. I don't even have to say anything else behind that because, you know, it's like, it's like what Hope said, you know, at ev- all of that, I felt and experienced and went through and some, you know, the sleeping and the getting up and the going to bed and sleep and, you know, and I did 30 days of that, you know, until it was like something nudging me like, is this what you gonna do for the rest of your life, This <laughs> You know, and you know, and I also had this thing in me uh, that would always say, you know, no, I can, I can do this better. You know, I can grieve better, or I can, you know, teach people how to live in their grief, not even knowing what it is that I'm saying. You know, because I've always been a person who kind of, you know, I look at how somebody's doing something and be like, hmm. Either they're incredibly incredible at what they're doing, or I can do that. I can do that better, you know. And so there are a lot of people who are very excellent and professional and just miraculous in what they do. And then I become your follower. (laughs) But then there are some that are like, I can do that better, and I think for everything that I have said internally, I can do that better. There was always something more spiritual working tested me. Okay, well, let me see you do it. Right, you know, and do it in the form of efficacy. Because if you can do it better, then there's someone out there that needs you to do it better for them. Yes. <laughs> so you know, I, I think every one of us have challenges. But I think if you look or if you listen to your inner spirit or if you you um, are, are so connected with who you are, you'll know what you need to do next, you know, in this journey or on this journey. Um, group support. I hated going to group support because I, number one, I didn't want to sit in a room of grieving parents who felt like the world was closing in on them week after week after week. And then you come back and then it's the same thing over and over and over. And I said, no, I I, I just, this is just the energy in this room is just so draining, you know, and then here I go again, I can do that better. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, and and then there was You know, um, the coaching, you know, didn't even know that there was a thing such as grief coaching, you know, uh, because I saw a therapist and I had a good therapist. There was no way I was going to say I can do that better Mm because I couldn't. She was good. And I wanted to keep her. I didn't want her to go anywhere, you know, (laughs) so. Um, You know, there'll always be challenges, but it's, you know, we who, I think we who have been through what we've been through are the best persons to help others to say, is there all to life? Is is, is, is is this all there is to life for you to just sit and sleep and breathe and just not see a light at the end of the tunnel? And, and I had to have someone tell me, well, Marcus want that for you, you know, because I know how I raised Marcus and I know I raised him to be relational with people, um, to be good uh to people and with people to be happy live an abundant life you know and so you know I had to ask myself "Well, Marcus want this for me no he wouldn't he wouldn't mm-hmm. and so I I I just challenged myself within the midst of my challenges to be better to grieve better not stop grieving but to grieve better mm-hmm. beautiful mm-hmm. That's
0: amazing um i knew this would be an awesome episode
2: (laughs) (laughs) you know this really is a a good conversation and you know, there used to be a time that I didn't want to talk about grief. There, there was a time that I didn't want to look at Marcus's pictures because they were too difficult and too painful. Uh-huh. Um, there used to be a time I would sit on the couch and um, I knew his patterns. He would always come to my place about three, three 30, you know, okay, what you cooking? You know, mm-hmm. and I would sit and wait, you know, okay, it's about quarter to three. He'll be here in about 15 minutes, you know, and I would just sit and wait and then 3 o'clock would come, and 3.15 would come, and 3.30 would come, and, you know, then I would come back into my miserable reality of he's never going to come through that door again, you Mm -hmm. know, and so There were triggers of challenges of, you know, him working his first job at McDonald's. You know, every McDonald's I would pass by. I wanted to blow it up, you know, Mm -hmm. as if McDonald's had something to do with his death. You know, he did UPS and FedEx around the holiday season to make extra money. It was hard for me to see a, a, a UPS truck at the red light next to me. You know, I'd be mean mugging the driver as if uh-huh. he'd done something. You know, all of this crazy stuff. And it's just like, what is wrong with me? I can't, I can't live like this. I,
1: I Mine was
2: Wendy's. Ironically enough, my son worked at
1: Wendy's. And so, <laughs> every time I see Wendy's, I'm like, uh. um, yeah. But, you know, or my trigger was it's so funny that you say that because when you said mcdonald's i was like mine's wendy's justin worked it i think every place possible five below chipotle (laughs) like every time i see these but i my trigger my biggest one was people walking like if i saw a young man walking and it's hilarious to me and i don't know why because at first i was like justin never walked a day in his life like if he needed a ride he was calling everybody he was not walking but then I had to turn it around and think maybe it's just a little sign that he's walking with me like he's wow. with me and so that. That's the kind of thing that you have to do with the mindset. Yeah.
2: Um,
1: but I agree. Like if I specifically see the one that he worked at, I'm like, oh, <laughs> he touched something in there. He went to the bathroom in there. It's the craziest things you think
2: of. But yeah. you do. You, you do. I totally get that. Totally get that. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and when the people that you're helping, when you share that with them to help them to know that, you know, this is a, a normal Uh, process you go through with grieving, and when when you can put a a name to that, and when they understand, okay, I am not losing my mind, it kind of makes you feel like, okay, that's okay to do, long as I know that this is to be expected. Yes, (laughs) Mm -hmm. yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that helps you to deal with that challenge, you know, because another challenge that I had too was uh, the bargaining. You know, if I had not told Marcus that he needed to leave or move, you know, maybe this would not have happened, you know, and it was just always that internal, what if, what if, what if, and, and, and my therapist helped me to see that, well, you know, Candace at the time you said that that was the best decision for you and him why is that still not the best decision? You can't undo something that you've done that was the best decision for you at that time. And so and that's whenever those triggers of, of bargaining come up, you have to tell yourself, no, I made the best decision that I made at that time. And it's still the best decision. I love
1: that. Cause you know, I had dealt with that so much with Justin was like, um, he had called me the night before, and I was like, what if I would have picked up that phone? Or the same thing, I moved for my job, and so Justin was going back and forth from where I moved a couple hours away to our hometown. So he was back and forth when mom made him get a job, and he got a job. Then he was like, oh, I miss my friends. He'd go back. So he was back and forth. And so getting him out of there, I was like, what if I wouldn't have moved? What if I wouldn't have, you know, answered the phone? And my the counselor that I had at the time said, there is free will. So everybody has free will. So what if you would have picked up that phone, you started an argument, he started an argument, and you ended it by hanging up on each other saying something horrific. And that would have been the last thing that you said to each other. So there's always those kind of things, the way that you can flip it, but I love that. Like those what ifs is literally like, that was the decision that I made at the time. That was the best decision because I was on my way to a movie. And I was like, "There's Justin. He's wanting money or something." And that's exactly what I said. And yeah. so I said, "If it's urgent, he'll call me back." Mm-hmm. And that night, that was like a you know early in the evening. And then that night that happened, it it was giving me so much guilt that I didn't pick up that phone mm-hmm. until she said, "What if it would have went yeah. really different?" Right. And have to live with that for the rest yeah. of it. And so it's just free will it's it's there yeah exactly wow
2: that's good
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> um i am hearing so many amazing tips on navigating the challenges navigating the triggers naming the triggers shifting our mindset to one of acceptance of this is this is the best that I could do at that time and it could have gone differently to make it even worse. Um, This is incredible. Um, So I live in California and we have a lot of redwoods here. Um, And there are so many incredible lessons that we can learn from the redwoods. One of them is the importance of the fire in their life cycle. Um, if they don't have that fire, they can't reproduce because it's the heat and the pressure of the fire that opens the cones where the seeds Mm -hmm. are. Um, And the fires help clear the undergrowth so that the seedlings Mm -hmm. have, the seeds have somewhere to plant. Um, Mm -hmm. So even though the fire is incredibly, it can be incredibly devastating, devastating, it's also <clears throat> life bringing for these redwoods, mm. these fires, mm-hmm. these redwoods would not be able to continue with, without these fires. So now that we're, now that you two are a few more years out from your murders, looking back on your journey since them, what growth or what, what has sprung up from your fires? Wow. Wow. Go
2: ahead, Candice. You know, that's a good question. I love that analogy. Thank you so much for that. I heard my pastor preach on that, um, about um, the benefit of fires in a and how it starts a process of reproducing new life. And um, I would say over the last 15 years, um, and this goes along with something that one of my grief uh, professors um, helped me to understand about grief is um, I, di- I didn't want to, as I was, as I was researching his um, grief coaching program, I determined that this wasn't going to be for me because I cried too much. Mm-hmm. I don't want anybody that I'm helping or assisting and they're looking at me as the professional to just break down and and lose it (laughs) in front of my client. Mm -hmm. And and so Don said, Candace, you're the prime candidate. We need that. And so I didn't see, I I, I was so used to seeing, um, I guess, sorrow as not a benefit or not a, um, a, a a helper in, um, helping those that are going through difficult times. Um, Jesus wept, you know, and, and he's our example to follow in this world, you know, and, um, he has a heart and a, and a passion for those who grieve and if there's a heart and a passion behind grieving, then there's also a purpose in grieving, coming from the professional, because I think a lot of times, people who assist us in certain areas of our lives, whether it be banking or whether it be uh, real estate or you know even in retail, you know, are so tough and are so uh could be combative or maybe prideful and arrogant you know that you feel that you're not respected or you feel that you're not um um, worthy of just being you of just being real of just being human you know knowing that um goddess has used my grief um for a purpose bigger than bigger than me you know, to help others to see that, man, you know, my investigators not calling me or my judge doesn't seem to side with me. They want to do a plea and I don't feel like I got to justice. But Candace, thank you so much for letting me vent. But thank you so much for letting me talk. I feel better talking to you than I do them. You know, there's a, a strange irony in that. You know, where we feel like we're receiving justice from the court system, but receiving, we're receiving a different kind of justice of self-worth and value in someone who's able to understand and sit with us and allow us to be expressive and to speak in our truth, you know, even though we're not getting the, um, the closure, you know that we feel like we need to get i think that's what this has taught me in this whole grand scheme of things is you know can this be you don't try to be tough and don't hold the tears back you know people are going to need to see that you care not just from your words but just from your body language mm-hmm. yeah.
1: love that and it's so the one thing that that i that helped me from go to this devastation to termination kind of aspect of it is um exactly what candace said earlier was like i was in those grief groups and i was like i could do this better um and i remember being around and it wasn't the group or it wasn't the the class or the course Um, because it was sort of like the old Zig Ziglar kind of 70s kind of thing it was about (laughs) being around others that that could tell me the things that I needed to hear so desperately one that I wasn't doing it wrong right I thought I was doing grief wrong because I'm like I don't know about you all but I have never ever been taught how to grieve and I don't think I'm doing right
2: Mm -hmm.
1: and for them to give me that reassurance of you know those triggers those those things like when people say the worst thing in the world to you but they think i mean their heart's in the right place but they just say the god-awfulest thing to you and you're like where who would say that to me but we have to learn how to be um you know our expectations have to become to the point where we know their heart's in the right place. They may right. not say the right words. Uh, right. We have to start understanding why people walk away and get mm-hmm. out of our lives versus come and support our lives. So oh, all yeah. of those different kinds of things within that group that mm-hmm. I was in was so reassuring to me that I was one, I was individualized. My grief wasn't gonna be like John's or my grief wasn't gonna be like Deanne's. It's gonna be completely different. But then there was similarities between, just as we, you and I talked about the Wendy's and the McDonald's, and the, the, you know, the feelings that we feel. And so that's what motivated me to start understanding what was important and what i needed to fulfill in my purpose with great was one i had to start focusing on today and how tomorrow was not going to be like today right and so i had to start getting that motivation to say okay today's not going to be eat sleep repeat cry it's going to be get up take a shower go to the store and maybe sleep and cry so i had to start putting on those motivating factors every day that tomorrow was not going to be the same as today because i had to stop expecting that tomorrow was going to be the same why why you know it's going to be the same i'm going to cry sleep repeat whatever and so then i had to start changing my life to offset to to change my mindset Mm -hmm. into thinking tomorrow's going to be better right And so I had to figure out what that meant. And so every day I had to put a focus on it. And what it did was, okay, I stopped smoking, which was like the stupidest thing to do at that time. But I was like, I'm going to stop smoking. And everybody's like, right now you're going to do it? You just lost your son, right? And I was like, no, I'm going to do it. Because the one thing that I learned was I could accomplish what I put my mind to, and yes. so I had to, I had to accomplish, accomplish that to get my mindset on like, if you can do that girl, mm-hmm. this guy. Right? Mm, So mm -hmm. I quit smoking, then I quit, then I started to exercise. And I remember going into the gym, literally, I went into the gym, I walked around and looked at it, and then I walked back out, but I got to the (laughs) gym, and that was an accomplishment, right? And so then I was like, okay, now I'm here, maybe I'll walk, you know? And so it was changing the way that I felt about the next day, the tomorrows, but also what I was feeling inside was building courage and strength and motivation. And wow. that was propelling me into the next phase of yes. every single day. And so that's where my, I think, I, when I think of it as devastation, determination was, that's how I learned mm-hmm. that grief was not going, was always going to be here. I was always going to, I always lost my son. But I also had to figure out how to live honoring him and how Mm -hmm. to live with that grief in a positive way. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's days, right? There's always those days Mm -hmm. or mornings or Mm -hmm. afternoons that are painful. But I Mm -hmm. have to limit those and say, okay, this is an afternoon. I'm allowed to have it. I'm allowed to feel it. But I'm not going to let it lead to days to weeks to months. And so that's where you get that motivation feeling where Mm -hmm. okay, I'm having a bad day today or bad morning. Tomorrow's gonna be different. If I'm allowed Mm -hmm. to have tomorrow, I'm gonna make it different. Yeah. And that's really what fuels my soul. And to know that he's my biggest fan, right? Like Justin's up there rooting me on. Like I can't go wrong unless I get up there and he's like, Mom, how embarrassing. And it's well, all we time won't time know time that right, till so. we
2: get there. <laughs> right, right.
1: But that time it's too late. So yeah,
2: I love it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. That's great. Oh my That's goodness. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. And you know, and the more and more you talk about, you know, things that you don't want to talk about, the easier it becomes to talk about them, you know. Weight, money, death. You know, the more and more you talk about your weight, the more and more you're going to get sick and tired of talking about your weight, you got to start doing something about it. It's <laughs> yeah. the same way with money. It's the same way with death. Now, we're not going to, the more we talk about death, we're not going to go ahead and do death, but right. it, just, it, 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 it um, absorbs a lot of the shock the more and more we talk about it, you know, and that's what I'm finding. It's like now, I love talking about death. In grief and helping people, you know, because I can identify with what they're saying and where they are and where they're sitting in their grief, and it's like I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. Like, yeah, yup, I don't been there, and I can't wait to share my experience too. You know, yeah. to whereas <laughs> it hasn't always been like that. It's like, no, don't go down one time. I'm gonna avoid this person right here because they just lost their their mom or whatever, and I'm going this way. Yeah. And now I'm like, Mm-mm, bring it on. I want to talk about it. <laughs>
0: People often, uh, one of my classic introductions is I'm Jenny and I love death, but I love grief. And when I say that I get the weirdest looks because like you do, I love talking about grief and helping people Mm. through it and learning their stories Mm. and helping them see different perspectives and, and just being a companion with them on the journey
2: I get it yeah. yes. yes
0: and it's one of those things
1: like it happens man like so many like this grief it doesn't like it doesn't pick on certain people it happens to all of us and one of the worst things i tell people all the time if we don't start talking about grief and start talking about death and it happens like people it happens why are we not talking about it it's because the worst thing to happen was when i lost someone and had no idea what to expect because nobody ever talked about grief and that was one of the things i'm like i'm gonna talk to uh, grief Constantly because I don't want anybody. Because in that moment, when you're in that fog, right, the last yeah. thing you want is surprise like, what the right. heck, you know, right. what is this brain fog kind of thing. Nobody told me about that. Nobody told me about, you know, even the organ donor. The organ donor called me, and I was like, who, who, ha-? nobody told me there's going to be an organ donor that calls, you know, that calls me. Yeah. In, in the, in the funeral, like, that was like a business transaction. I felt like I was planning a party, putting a deposit down. It was, yeah. nobody talks about it. And I get fired up about it because I'm like, like we have got to start letting this be in our household names and, and it's ugly, yeah. it's gritty, and nobody wants to talk about it.
2: But it has right. to be talked about. It has to be. You know? yeah, mm-hmm. You're right. Yeah. You know, and that's kind of like our, we all have whys, you know, our goals ask us, what is your why? What is your why? We all have our personal whys, but I think in the overall scheme of, of grief, you know, the common denominator of that why is we've got to talk about it. Mm-hmm. We've got to talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: One of my friends says she said the greatest thing the other day, she says, I'm a speaker about grief. So I do like the two worst fears in, in people's life is public <laughs> speaking and grief and death. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's what it is. That's what we got herself <laughs> into that.
2: Oh my goodness. Wow. <laughs> that's
0: awesome. Love
2: it. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: <sighs> So what are you two, what's what's coming up in the future for you, for both of you? What are you looking forward to?
2: Well, for me, I am, I'm still doing the grief coaching. And um, after this conversation that I'm having today, I just got an epiphany, man, I need to do more lives on why it's so important to, to talk about grief and to have a grief coach. But I'm working with someone to um, help me to create an online university um, about coaching people through their grief and' um, um, and so i'm I'm really, really excited about doing that um, because you know a lot of times people do want to talk about, what they're going through, but don't know how. But if they can do like a guided um, course on um, understanding how to navigate those feelings, maybe that may prompt uh, people to connect with a coach or connect with a counselor um, to help them get unstuck mm-hmm. and, and to start living more productive lives.
1: I love that. Mm-hmm. Um, So for me, um, Grief to Hope, my support program, it's a seven-week program that I offer for free. Um, And we go through it seven weeks. We do an introduction, I tell my story, and then we spell out the word grief. Um, So those are main topics. So we do gift of time, receive help, inspire, expectations, feel everything. And then our final session is to hope. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's moving you into that next step. So I have a new uh, session coming up August 3rd. Um, So anybody can join, it's available for anybody. Um, You can find all the information on my website. Um, And of course, my book, I created my book because there was people out there that just wasn't ready for a group setting, that just wasn't comfortable coming and talking. Um, And so I built my book exactly on my program, my story and then that. Um, So you can get that. But one of my greatest things that I'm working on right now is a workbook. For my program. So it's going to be a download uh, that you can do is you write in your hand, you print it off or use it electronically. Um, so I'm working on the workbook for Grief to Hope to sort of, you know, write the notes, write things down. I do quotes for every session, um, ask the questions, um, you know, write things down that, you know, so you don't forget, you want to encourage yourself to do, as well as move forward in the process. And one of the things that I learned with Justin's. Death. Pa- when he passed, was my counselor said journal, and mm-hmm. the difference that I saw from me journaling from that day to you know even days, weeks, months after his death, you could see the change mm-hmm. in my in my behavior, and mm-hmm. so I think it's really significant to utilize something that you can look at where you're at today and where you're at tomorrow and the next day and utilize that as growth like you can see and feel the growth
0: so that's my next project awesome. Love it. for our listeners who want to connect further with you tell us where they can find you for me um
1: it's grief to the number two hope you can email me straight from there i'll answer any questions that you have any thoughts um it also talks about the program it has a link to the program it has a link to my book um, it'll eventually have a link to the work si- the workbook. Um, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Hope Reager, and Grief to Hope, um, as well as LinkedIn. Awesome. awesome. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay, and the, name my, and it, the name of my business is called Conceptual Empowerment. You can Google Conceptual Empowerment, or the website is www.concepts-power.com. Www.concepts,
0: Awesome. Is there anything else that, you, that either of you would like to share today?
1: I'd say real quickly, um, the phrase that I use all the time is one day or day one. And today is day one. And that's where you have to find what inspires you for day one um, and start to focus on today and how you're going to improve tomorrow if you're lucky enough to get it.
2: That's awesome. And I just don't allow not talking about your grief to be that constant stigma. You know, the more and more you lean into it, the more and more you gain control over how you want to think about it, and to think about how you want to cope um, through it. So talking, talking, talking is you know talking about it is it is it's got to happen. I think you know it's happening more anyway, and it's starting those conversations. Um, but it's it's I just think it's time for people to just you know um, make it priority. To talk about how you're really feeling, so that you don't lose yourself in that grief. You know, when you when you lose someone, um, um, when you lose a parent, you know, you lose part of your past. When you lose a child, you lose part of your future. But when you don't deal with that grief, you lose
0: yourself. Mm-hmm. Well said. Mm-hmm. That's pretty much all the time that we have for today. Henderson Hope thank you so much for being with us today and showing us that it's not only possible to not only possible to survive devastating tra- and traumatic events like the murder of a child mm-hmm. but it's actually realistic to turn a travesty like that into a passion and purpose
2: yeah exactly um, Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you so, so, so much, much for having me. This has been a wonderful experience. And thank you so much, Hope, for just sharing your story and, and everything that you've done and accomplished since your son's death. You've done a lot in a little bit of time. And that just, that's a testament to your passion and your purpose behind what you do and why you do it. So thank you.
1: And back at you, pandas. I have been just so excited to meet you and to feel you. And I know that your passion exists. And, and your son is so, so proud of his mom. Absolutely.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Jenny. Thank you, Jenny. You're welcome. Thank you, Thank you so much. And I really, really appreciate the work that both of you are doing in helping us have those conversations and navigating people through their grief. From their devastation to determination to hope to the justice system to everything that goes along with death, loss, and grief. It's amazing work. And you two are amazing, amazing people. Mm -hmm. Keep going. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in and listening to or watching this episode of Share Your Story, exploring humanity one heart at a time. As you know, this is a podcast where we share real-life experiences of converting grief into growth. I wanted to take some time to share my gratitude to everyone who has supported me along the way. Thank you to my guests who have shown up and allowed me to delve into their personal experiences of grief, growth, and transformation. I appreciate your courage, authenticity, and openness in sharing your stories. I have learned so much from each of you. Thank you to my editors and producers, the Pod2Go team and Chad Nedland, who have helped take a tremendous load off my shoulders and kept me going as a podcaster. Their support has allowed me to do what I do best, connecting with others and taking a deep exploratory dive into grief experiences, showcasing not only how unique an individual grief is, but also how we can convert our grief into growth and goodness. And thank you to my listeners and audience. Our stories are meant to be shared, and without people like you to receive our stories, it can be tougher to express them. Most of all, I want to thank my amazing husband and kids for always supporting me and encouraging me in the work that I do. They have been incredible about keeping noise levels to a minimum while I'm recording, not always an easy feat. And they are amazing listeners when I give them the lows and highs of my experiences from individual episodes to the process as a whole. Because of some major changes in my personal life, I have been dedicating my time, attention, and resources to my home and family. As a result, starting in September, I will be taking a sabbatical from releasing new content for the Share Your Story podcast. In the interim, check out or revisit previously published episodes. Our grief changes with time, as do the circumstances of our lives. What may not have seemed pertinent before could jump out at you in a whole new way. A major component in converting grief into growth is to always be open to the lessons it has to teach you. Remember that all of our experiences make us who we are. They are perfectly tailored to help us become the best versions of ourselves and to help us reach our fullest potential. You can turn your grief into growth. You are known and loved in more ways than you could ever imagine. Your voice matters. So share your story.